Welcome to the Bulwark Podcast. It's Friday. We made it through another another long week, which means we're joined by Tim Miller to sort everything out. Uh, thanks for joining me on for our weekend podcast, Tim. Morning, Charlie. Uh, well, can we start off with a soundbite that on Earth 2.0 would really, really be a big deal, but unfortunately in the world we live in is just the Friday headline? I would like nothing the, less. Yeah, this Jonathan Carl is is coming out with a new book, which rather remarkably um, is just filled with news. I say rather remarkably because you think at this point that we've heard everything, right? That right. we know everything, which apparently is not true. <laughs> so, and we'll talk about that in a moment. But Axios this morning got their hands on some of the audio that uh, Jonathan Carl is going to play. Uh, like many of the other authors, he went down to Mar-a-Lago and had a chance to interview Donald Trump. You know, Trump Trump feels that he can spin all these authors, so he, he grants them the interview. Have yeah. you ever read about this? That he holds court in the lobby of the of the of the club, so, so I mean, the Cougars keep... can come by and yeah. you know, pay their respects. Yeah. Oh. Mr. President, you are looking so good. And you can hear the people in the background and everything. Well, the Jonathan Carl is asking the former president about the hang Mike Pence chance. The fact that 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 the protesters that he launched on the Capitol were calling for the assassination of his own vice president. Here's the way the exchange goes. He were you worried about him during that, that siege? Were you worried about no, his safety? No, I thought he was well protected, and I, I had heard that he was in good shape. <laughs> no, because uh, I had heard he was in very good shape. But, but no, you I You heard those chants. That was terrible. I mean, was, you know, the... He could have... Well, the people were very angry. They were saying, hang my Because it's, it's common sense. <laughs> it's common <laughs> sense that you're supposed to protect. How can you... If you know a vote is fraudulent... Right. How can you pass on a fraudulent vote to Congress? Common sense, Charles. Yeah, it's it's common sense. He's asking him. uh, Okay, so but they were chanting, hang Mike Pence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but it's common sense that you're angry about all of this. So um, I I don't know. Not not surprising. Outrageous. The fact that here is the man who is still the. You know, front runner for the Republican nomination for president, basically saying, "Yeah, it's 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 common sense to chant Hank Mike Hang Mike Pence because the election was stolen and he should have done this." What you know, I have this like I, I have two like con- conflicting emotions that happen in my body when I hear things like this, which is just one is the horror that like this person still could be the president again yep. and that we still have to have him in our lives and that like that 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 this is just still the nightmare that we're all s- suffering through and for the sixth year uh, but I, I I just I have to fight back just kind of this perverse pleasure at the pain of the Mike Pences of the world and like how that how much they're they're su- that they have to suffer through this and that they still have to deal with this and abide. Uh, vide him. I mean, you can you can sense it now. After that Youngkin victory, you can kind of sense a a twenty fifteen mood again among the Republican yeah. political class on the Twitters and the National Review crowd. And it's like, boy, we could really be moving on to DeSantis, and we could be moving, we could be getting all the things we want. We could be overturning Rovers Wade and not have to deal with this guy anymore. And um, you know, they were just so close to doing it. I, you know, had they scrounged up ten more votes in the Senate, they could have been done with him. And he yeah. here he is, unapologetically, unapologetic 
Um, nine months later, about the fact that he sicked a mob that wanted to kill his own vice president, he doesn't care. And 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 these guys, these cowards, all had an opportunity <laughs> to like put the nail in his coffin, and they refused to do it. Now they got yeah, all some, they, now they got all along. tap dance around them. Yeah, but they're just they're just waiting for Chris Christie to take him out. Okay, so <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I didn't want to trigger you there. We'll come back to, to all of this. Okay, so on on Ron DeSantis, did you, you see the report from uh, I think it was Political Playbook that uh, that uh, apparently Trump is pressuring Ron DeSantis to say publicly that he would not run against him if uh, if he ran. Uh, apparently, DeSantis has told him that in private, but now Trump wants him to say it in public, and he's apparently kind of a little bit uh, pissed off uh, that. Uh, DeSantis is going around the country and raising money, and some of his loyalists have been showing up at the fundraiser. So a little bit of trouble in paradise there, a little bit of you Trump are, You always knew once he started flying a little close to the sun there mm-hmm. that um, that eventually the arrows were going to come. That, the thing is, like, I mean, Trump is just such a needy, needy, you know, and he just is like has this black hole in his heart and just needs to be loved and 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 to be feel, feel strong and tough and whatever all the time. And so, like, that is what this is about. The, the, he has he has nothing to worry about i mean like the idea that ron DeSantis is going to primary him in any meaningful way is it's ridiculous this happen. was like when i wrote this article last week about how trump is the favorite for 2024 it's because of this reason it's like could he be beaten I, maybe but but none of these guys like ron DeSantis, does not have the stones to run against him and and actually criticize him right and there's this like kind of fantasy i think you know national review world west wing notion where somebody runs with like i agree with mr trump on all the policies but we just need somebody a little bit more electable we need you know somebody just a little bit younger and a little bit more focused on the future but he's still great he's still great was fully with him on the coup and it's just like that like that is not going to happen like that there that is not how primaries work you know you can't uh, you can't survive nine months or twelve months, however long it lasts, of of, of scrutiny underneath the Klieg lights. You know, saying I agree with this guy on everything. It's just you got to go with me because you know uh, the libs, the libs are are too triggered by him. Uh, you know, like that just doesn't well, work. I, I see one of the National Review guys was actually tweeting. Well, I'm not sure that Trump was really defending the hang Mike Pence chance. He was he was just doing his normal rant about the election, and then he just continued the rant. Uh, no, I'm sorry. That, that, that dog's not going to hunt here because yeah, the, let me, the, the standard I mean, rant about the election yeah, 10 yeah. months later after it's over, pretending yeah. like it was fraudulent, yeah. pretending like it was stolen yeah, from him by shadowy forces, you know, just that. And, and the fact yeah, that it was right, reasonable that people might be want to hang his, his vice president. Just, oh, he just, just giving a standard shtick. Why is there making this such is, a big deal out of this, Charlie? <laughs> this is, this is what's funny. It's like the, the normally absolutely paranoid, demented, deranged rant is now the, <laughs> okay, that's the normal. So this is, let me just read you the whole. We did a little bit of the of the cut here. So Jonathan Carl says, were you worried about him during the siege? And he says, no, he was well protected. He was fine. But Carl says, you heard those chants. That was terrible. I mean, and Trump says um, he could have. Well, the people were very angry, Carl. They were saying, hang Mike Pence. Here's Trump. Because it's common sense, John, it's common sense that you're supposed to protect. How can you, if you know a vote is fraudulent, right, how can you pass on a fraudulent vote to Congress? Now it keeps going. How can you do that? And I'm telling you, 50-50, it's right down the middle for the top constitutional scholars when I speak to them. He's obviously referring to the John Eastman weird, you know, bullshit that the Mm -hmm. vice president could have overturned. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anybody I spoke to, almost all of them at least pretty much agree, and some very much agree with me, 
because he's he's referring to Pence passing on a vote that he knows is fraudulent. How can you pass a vote that you know is fraudulent? Now, when I spoke to him, so he's back, you know, he's back on on Pence. I really talked about all the fraudulent things that happened during the election. I didn't talk about the main point, which is the legislatures did not approve five states. The legislatures did not approve all of the changes that made the difference between a very easy win for me in the states or a loss that was very close because the losses were all very close. So, I mean, he's clearly talking about pants. I yeah. The Capitol's being stormed, by the way, while he's doing all that sort of thing. He's like, yeah, I'm talking to Pence. I'm like, this is the, the easy thing to do is to go with this. It's like, I, I know that you're being, you're being evacuated right now by Secret Service. So Jonathan Carl has a bunch of stuff. He's got that yeah. long piece in The Atlantic about John McEntee, uh, you know, the 29-year-old wonder kind, not wonder kind, uh, <laughs> who was pushing everybody around, including right Writing this long memo uh, about uh, firing Mark Esper, the Secretary of Defense, and and Jonathan Carl actually has a put out a copy of it. It's really amazing, uh, and what a, what an insight into the Trump White House. What really mattered? I mean, the Trump lists among Esper's sins against Trump that he barred the Confederate flag on military bases. He opposed the president's direction to utilize American forces to put down riots. Um, he focused the department on Russia. Hmm. He was, and listen to this, actively pushing for diversity and inclusion. Uh, so all of these things are, are among the things that were the sins that uh, Johnny McEntee said, you know, warranted firing the secretary of defense, who was in fact fired on November 9th, 2020, a few days after the president was defeated for reelection. So once again, yeah, we're getting I, a little bit more insight into just how warped that White House was. Yeah, and what they wanted. I mean, again, thank God, you know, that like uh, Millie, who I've, I have plenty of complaints mm -hmm. about, and those folks were in there. And you, you looked at that, it was like written on crayon, like the three-point list of what your instructions was. It was like, get us out of Afghanistan, out of Germany, end Germany war, out of Africa. Like that was the yeah. <laughs> temporary defense secretary's, you know, instructions from this 29-year-old brat. I think that if, if folks haven't read that Atlantic article, I told Carl this, um, I, in, for, in some ways, I think it was the best um excerpt i've read um or chapter i've read from all of the various trump books because really? it, yeah because here's why that's you know lot. we get into all of the craziest with trump and every but but like at its heart this McEntee story is is what this is what the administration is all about and, and, and to think about having him come back again I, I think it's the most it's the most illuminating because because it's just about these petty insecurities of this man like like Johnny McEntee was a backup quarterback at Connecticut, which is why Trump likes him. He looks mm -hmm. the part. Uh, he went viral on, on 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 YouTube for doing some trick throws. That was his claim to fame before he got on the Trump campaign. And he, he gets into the White House. He gets fired because he he he's fucked up his taxes because of his gambling debts. Okay, and and, and then in the last year, Trump brings this guy back who has no. No skills, no expertise. He puts him in top of the in, in charge of the biggest HR department, the most important HR department in the entire world, the the U.S. government, and and uh, and he basically instructs him to sniff out rats like a like the East German Stasi. I, you know, it's, it was reminiscent of the great. There's this great show called Deutschland. I highly recommend to people. It's like kind of about the East German Stasi, and, and it's like uh, you know, sniff out the never Trumper. They're three and a half years into the administration. They're in the middle of a pandemic. Trump has this 29 year old frat star 
trying to sniff out anybody that, that, that might have liked a tweet that, that, that it wasn't favorable to Trump. He hires a whole new department. There's a 20-year-old girl in it named Cameron something who is a TikTok star who is in charge of external well, of affairs for the United States government. He hires a bunch of hot chicks and ugly dudes that he can push around. <laughs> and, and, then he, and then he inserts these people as the White House liaison into the departments, people that are doing work. There's this 25-year-old bro... Uh, that that is that is you know acting like he's the boss of the Department of Homeland Security, and he, he's storming around the Homeland Security Department, bossing around Chad Wolf, who also had no um, yeah, business being there. You know what I mean? Then the same thing at the Department of Justice. Why aren't you? Why aren't you being? You know, uh, uh, asking Bill Barr why you know he's looking into Durham more and all this sort of stuff. If we get Trump back, like the the Carl article. Is is the this sort of uh, the absurd the absurd putsch right? It's both right. It is both anti democratic and ridiculous, and it would be that again. And and, and you just have these really absurd characters that that you know are are drunk with power with within the White House because um you know because that that's the so, kind of person that Trump attracts. Probably Johnny McEntee would end up being the chief of staff and you know Richard Grinnell would end up being secretary mm-hmm. of state. We should we actually should put together what the cabinet would look like. My pillow guy would be attorney general. Um no no, I Rudy Giuliani would be attorney general, right? My pillow guy would be what secretary I mean, of the treasury. <laughs> you laugh now. Right. Okay. You laugh because like, it's so painful now. These, these is, these are the people that were left. I mean, you know, I, we're in the, we're in the middle of a century long crisis, and it's John, it is Johnny McEntee, the, the dude who's, who like lost all his money playing online poker, a backup college quarterback, who is like, who's like managing who is getting hired at the FDA and HHS, right? I mean, like this, it's, it's preposterous. Well, the good news though, the, the good news is that um, coming to the rescue, Chris Christie has decided that he is breaking right. with, with 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 trump um uh okay so is it fair to say that chris christie triggers you a little bit because chris christie this. triggers okay. me a lot the, you, you write you wrote this epic piece in the bulwark which i strongly recommend the biggest bully is a half decade late like every other pathetic podgy scared insecure bully who has ever disgraced a schoolyard chris christie who you refer to as cartman Talks a big game, but when he was called upon to meet the biggest threat of his life, a doughy, soft-handed, trust fund baby with authoritarian aspirations, Christie didn't just walk away from an argument. He waddled as fast as he could go in his urine-soaked pull-ups. <laughs> and it gets yeah. worse, Tim. It does so get worse. He he hurt you as a child. He hurt you, right? I mean, there's well, something. He did what, hurt what, me. He, not, yeah. he didn't hurt me as a child. Here's where he hurt me. I can remember where I was, Charlie. I was sitting. Oh, I'm forgetting the name of the restaurant. I was. I, I had, Jeb had just dropped out. Oh, no, no, Jeb hadn't just dropped out. We yeah, were in between New Hampshire point. and South Carolina. We were in between New Hampshire and South Carolina. I flew down to Miami oh, to get yeah. my laundry to do one yeah. day. I went home, and I was, I was sitting at my smoothie place at, when I looked at my phone and I saw the news that Chris Christopher Cartman Christie was endorsing Donald Trump for president. And I and at that moment. I know, I know, I was late to the punch on this. I know I was late to the punch on this, but I just, even after Trump had won New Hampshire, I was like, he's still not going to win, right? I mean, like right. Marco's going to come back, or Cruz. I didn't really think Jeb was going to win, but like Marco or Cruz or somebody, you know, Christie could help somebody actually make sure this 
freak show uh, doesn't become the nominee. And he was the first one. It was at that moment. Before New Hampshire, nobody had endorsed him. No one. Christie was the first one. And he had this reputation as a moderate, as a guy who tells it like it is, as somebody who's pragmatic. He crossed party lines you know he drew a lot of these trump but trump ended up doing very well in blue states you know with a tristy type voter um and and he kind of put this stamp on approval of, of on trump and and turned him from you know kind of this ridiculous sideshow that was like oh my god we should be getting kind of scared into somebody that's like okay we can work with him the establishment can work with him he's actually better than ted cruz yeah. in some ways because ted cruz and so everybody Christie, hated him yeah 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 christie did that christie was the first mover the first mover in these situations is always critical and, and you know who knows what would have happened if you if you had won another way and to have to listen to this asshole you know talk about how he is the one that is willing to tell hard truths you know that he is the tough guy that you know you know, he is the man who can stand up to, oh, those those little teachers who ask him tough questions in the town halls. And he's oh, so tough the way he looks down his nose at them. It's just like, fuck you. I just I'm so sick of him. You know, I, I just I, it would be one thing, Charlie, if he had said, you know, I misjudged this one. I thought we could manage this guy. You know, I knew him a little bit from around New York. And I just, I whiffed. And and his behavior after the election is just so horrible that I feel terrible that I went along with it. And like, we got to stop this right now. And I'm going to lead the charge. Okay. I wouldn't be buying any Chris Christie XXL t-shirts to put on, but I, I would, I would be okay. But that's not what he's doing. He, he is flattering himself. You know, by saying that, like, he is he's the one guy who has the cojones to do this right now. And he's barely doing anything. He gave that whole speech at the Reagan Library where he doesn't mention him. You know, he, he makes this one sarcastic remark to Mike Allen. It's a kind of a wimpy, backhanded attack on Trump. If, yeah, if he's going to do this, I, I let me see. Election. Yeah, let me see Chris Christie give Donald Trump the treatment that he gave those teachers union teachers. You know, like, let me let me see him give the full you know, put the full weight of himself behind his attacks on Donald Trump. And then maybe we can talk about something. But in the meantime, he's just playing the press like a fiddle and Axios and CNN and all these other folks are like, Oh, they love the controversy. They're like, we can, we can, we can, you know, get some clicks out of this because our ratings are down because people don't want to watch, you know, hear about the Biff anymore. And it, it's like, you know, it is just all so phony. And it, and it, so it, he did hurt me. Uh, he hurt me in February of 2016, and I'm still bitter about it. And, you know, somebody needs well, to I am tell too. the truth I, about I, this. I, listen, I, I remember that. And uh, you're not overstating the impact. Up until that moment when he endorsed Donald Trump, I don't know of a single major a political figure who was supporting Trump. He was Sessions, completely. If you want to count Sessions, Je- I, really I was going to say that. Jeff yeah. Sessions would be about the only one because I remember in Wisconsin, th- I think the only elected Republican official that was supporting Trump at that time was was the village president of Thienesville, Wisconsin, which is like right next door to where I live, which is this tiny little you know one square mile place, and nobody else, absolutely no one else. So when Chris Christie, um, you know, did that, it, it did kind of break the glass, and then of course he turned from being. The, you know, the fighter uh, to being this this shine box, uh, you know, standing, looking adoringly, uh, you know, up at, at Trump. So in, in retrospect, he obviously had decided at some point that he was going to do this because he, he beat up little Marco you know, at that uh, yeah. and really destroyed little Marco uh, during that debate right before uh, New, New Hampshire. And, and he tells the story, which you quote in your article. Of, you know, Trump recounting what happened at the debate when they broke for a commercial. He, he wrote, I, I felt a tap on my shoulder. It was Donald Trump. Donald put his arm around me and said, God, 
You destroyed him. You're the only one who could have done that. Just remember, I haven't said anything bad about you. Don't go after me. And of course he didn't. He just, you know, killed little Mark. The whole campaign. So he was, yeah, yeah. He quit his whole campaign. Like the person best suited to attacking him killed his whole campaign. So, you know, we can do recriminations and all and counterfactuals on 2016 all day. And I know I sound like, yeah. you know, the create the guy talking about the football game back in high school where they if they just made the one pass, they would have, you know, won the yeah. state title or whatever. I'm Uncle Rico over here. But still, it's true. And like we're, we're both gonna so, be that I, guy, so, you know. Yeah, yeah. So, so, um, but but he has to, you know, do some uh, like do something before you get praise, and 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 everybody needs to recognize like his 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 culpability here, and and then just the pathetic toadying nature that he, that he went along with it, uh, you know, and and so I just I, I can't let him have I can't let him have this this little moment that I know that that it makes CNN so happy that he can have this that you know they can uh, all right they can let, have let, their let, normal let, Republican back. So, so where do we draw this? line because we know that there are i mean there are those of us who were never trump from the moment he came down the golden escalator that's fine but obviously over time there have been other people who have come across the line and that we have welcomed including liz cheney and adam kinzinger who might have supported him early on and we have been you know sometimes had to swallow and say okay you were there you were serving uh, during that administration but uh, you've you've seen the light and we will make you know the enemy and my enemy is my friend why shouldn't we get to that point with Chris Christie? Basically say, okay, fuck you for everything you did before, but okay, I'm willing to listen if you're willing to join the militia now. Yeah. I, I, well, I have two, I have two, a two part answer to that. Number one is, look, if Chris Christie wants to go full frontal on Donald Trump and run in a primary against him, hell yeah, great. Mm-hmm. Like, that's mm-hmm. fine with me. I'll be, I will, I'm not going to, again, I'm not going to donate to him, but that's great. I hope he does that. I, I haven't seen any evidence of that right now, and and so uh, that's what I'm calling out. I, I guess my answer to who's welcome is is just don't bullshit a bullshitter. You know, yeah. don't bullshit me. Don't like look at me in the eyes and tell me that like this is your moment of clarity happened in January sixth, and and like now you're the one that wants to step forward because like and now you're the one who's going to speak hard truths. Like, it, you know, have some contrition. Uh, or, or or at least explain to me, you know, the choices that were made. Look, I, I think people that served in that administration, um, so it like bugs me about the John Kellys, right? Like in, in the Madisons, right? If you say, look, I was trying to make a call. I was trying to make a judgment call. And it's and it's if it was going to be me in there or it was going to be Johnny McEntee at the at the Department of Defense. And it would be better that, with me. And I, and I thought I could manage them. Turns out I couldn't. We need to stop them. And and I'm I'm with all the folks that want to stop them, no matter where they are. Then then you're welcome. Then you're welcome into the cause with me. But you know, don't try to paint yourself as some as some hero and like and and puff yourself up and turn you know turn you into the yeah, tough guy. Yeah. Like that's the part that bugs me the most about Christie. It's what I, you know, where I had trouble with the mooch too. Uh, you know what I mean? Like you just give me yeah, some. See, there are some of these guys straight that I have talk. Hard, right? You know. Okay, so um, as a kind of a throwaway line, you you mentioned yeah. that uh, maybe the media is liking the storyline because then. They don't have to talk about Biff anymore. Can we talk about Biff for like five minutes? Yeah, sure. Okay, so that was a week ago. A week ago today. Actually, it was less than a week ago from when we're talking right now that they passed the Biff. And Democrats are telling one another um, that if they uh, pass Biff and they pass uh, Build Back Better Reconciliation Bill, that things are going to be okay for them. What, What do you think? I want to, I've been critical of the Democrats uh, and the way they've been talking about and acting around all this. I, I just I want to note before I get into my criticism that there there has been a ch- in this week 
you've seen a noticeable change. Mm-hmm. You know, Biden is out there selling the infrastructure bill. Uh, I guess he's going to sign it on Monday um, officially. And, um, you know, the tone, it, you know, they, they obviously rushed it through. I, I think that Virginia was a little bit of a wake up call. Um, a little bit. I, you know, yeah, a little bit uh, <laughs> understatement of the year. Uh, they're selling it more. And so, you know, things aren't going to change in Biden's approval rating overnight just because you start doing the, the right thing for one week. Right. Like a lot of people just aren't paying that close of attention to all this stuff. Uh, and so uh, I, I see some green shoots. Um, yeah. There's not a magic bullet that's going to fix the fact that it grinds people's gears when they, you know, pull into the Chevron and see 488 at the, you know, as, as the, as the gas yeah. price or, or whatever, or, you know, their grocery bills, a hundred dollars more than it was last year. Like that bothers people. The only way to fix that is, um, is, is telling, telling folks what you're doing to try to help them. Right. And like, this is where the Democrats have, have failed. I've agreed with every policy they've done, but, but they at least have a story to tell, you know, you have the child tax credit. That was, Mm-hmm. extra money a month you, you know you had the covid relief money you know now we're doing the infrastructure money that's coming that's coming that is coming into your is coming into your communities right now biden i'm turning my you know focus to you know trying to deal with inflationary pressures in these other ways right like that is you know a, a combination of things that at least get them into the ballpark i think of trying to win people back we're a long way from november uh you know i, I think there's reason to believe some of this stuff is temporary it's going to take some time though and so I, I just think that the key thing for the democrats is a not making it worse by like arguing over how many trillions we're getting right back to arguing over how many trillions we're going to spend um uh, that that's the first most important thing that they need to do and two just demonstrating that like they're part of the solution so so hopefully presuming like things get better um on, on the inflationary side of things things are getting better on the jobs front and the market's doing well and all that so assuming that it starts to get better next year they can take some credit for it and have a little bit of wind at their sails going into November. I, I think it's going to be ugly no matter what next November. That's just the yeah, nature I, of these I, things. I, but uh, you can mitigate the pain. Look, I also think, uh, I agree with everything you just said, um, including the fact that look, they, they just need to you know, tell that story and tell it over and over and over and over again. Somebody on Twitter saying, well, are you saying that the voters are so stupid that they need to be told again and again? Yes, yes. that's exactly what I'm saying. Yes, you need to say it over and over and talk about what's in the details and not necessarily the trillion dollar details, but but maybe something real tangible because the you know trillion dollars just, you know, my eyes glaze over. It's It's just too big. And the reality is the 488 at the gas pump, if that's what it is in California, um, is a lot more powerful than any of these abstractions. So, uh, but I also think that in Virginia was maybe a wake up call. The Democrats really do need to come to grips with a number of things. You know, number one, um, take inflation seriously. It, it does seem like the Biden White House might have been a little bit of a bubble that they were taking so much by surprise by the amount of inflation um they should that should be pounded uh, over and over and over again that this is a huge issue that clouds everything that's number one number two uh they're going to also have to figure out a way to talk about race um yes there's been a lot of dishonesty about uh, critical race theory but the reality is that there are people who are really upset about things that are going on in the schools and you're out in california yeah and i think by the way this is a digression here but in california the very, very, very liberal mayor is backing a recall of even more liberal members of the school board in San Francisco. Yeah. Is that right? I mean, it's a, I mean, that's mind blowing to me. Yeah, I mean, London Breed's actually pretty. Uh, she's liberal for sure, but uh, yeah. is practical. The mayor of San Francisco. Um, 
And uh, and yeah, they're not only recalling school board members, but recalling the uh, DA Chesa. I don't know. I don't know how to pronounce his last yeah. name. Buddha, um, uh, who who's out is, there? Yeah, it was like the, really out there, and he was like the he was he was brought up in the Weather Underground crowd, and his parents were in the Weather Underground, and and you know he basically is like, you know, does I, look I'm pretty liberal on criminal justice stuff, uh, but but I mean I, you know, and he doesn't want to have any. Uh, um, accountability for like petty crime, and so um, so so they're recalling him, and and I just I saw a poll, you know, somebody sent me a poll. I, I think it was private, so I won't say who it is, but like he has this this DA has a fifty two percent negative rating in San Francisco, and it's like I I don't wow. think any other DA in the country even has fifty two percent name ID. I forget fifty two percent negative rating, and San Francisco is not filled with magas, right? So these are Democrats nope. that know who he is and don't like him, and so uh, you know, I, I think that being eyes open to the fact that there are real frustrations with this and, and and kind of bringing things back into into reality is good for Democrats. Just one other thing on yeah. on on, on, on crime related. as well, on crime and schools. I think is the yeah point. crime yeah. and yeah. schools yeah. and inflation. I and mean, these are the three things that were that 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 uh, you know I think have. A broad swath of people who were Biden voters concerned right now, and 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 you got to bring these pe- those people back into the tent. We're not talking about the magas who are making up crazy, you know, wanting to burn Tony Morrison's book. Like that person's never coming into the tent. But the people who were Biden voters who are concerned about crime, schools, and and prices, you know, they need to be talked to. Um, l- lastly, part of talking to them also is telling them what the Republicans are not doing, and, and you know, I, I think that. Um, there's good reason on this podcast, on the bulwark, uh, you know, we have a different obligation. We're not part of the DSCC, right? And so there's good reason for us to focus on January 6th and the threats to our democracy mm-hmm. and these existential threats. Uh, the Democrats need to be do a better job of attacking the Republicans on these kitchen table issues, right? I mean, if you, I saw a poll yesterday that had the um, uh, Republicans doing two to one better than Democrats on how to deal and who's better for dealing with inflation. It's <sighs> like the Republicans haven't put out any plans for how to deal with inflation. Like all they've done is talk about how the Democrats are spending too much money and that that's going to make things worse. And so I, I just think that the Democrats, you know, have a clear message here about how Republicans have no agenda. Like, like, like they, they don't, they are standing in the way of any effort that they're putting forth, whether it be the child tax credit, whether it be these infrastructure, though there were some Republicans that voted on it, not that many, you know, in the house, the Republicans tried to kill it, you know, whether it be whatever items you want to pull out of the BBB, uh, uh, the COVID relief, like anything that, that, that Democrats are trying to do to help working people, Republicans are standing in the way of it and they're, and they're blocking it and they're being totally nihilistic about it. And, and they are offering no proactive proposals of their own. And yet, you know, that that message, I think, is getting kind of lost in all of the, you know, sort of other complaints which are valid about Republicans. There are plenty well, of complaints right. about they, Republicans they, out there. Yeah, I mean, and, and they need to put a, a face. I mean, look, uh, if you spend any time on right-wing media, you know that the face of the Democratic Party is uh, AOC, right? I mean, right. They, they, yeah. they will do that. And at some point, Republicans need to be held accountable for the fact that they have Marjorie Taylor Greene and Lauren Boebert and uh, and Paul Gosar, et cetera. Those are the public faces. But also your point about just the kitchen table. And I know you wrote about what a disaster it would be to give up on rural America. And they have a blue collar problem. And there's they're very clear populist messages that they could use, you know, focusing on jobs, putting people back to work, making us more competitive against China, uh, making uh, corporations and the rich like Donald Trump billionaires pay their fair share in taxes. By the way, I cannot believe 
that they are not pounding away on that particular issue, uh, just from a political point of view. Um, while, while what are the Republicans doing? They're voting against uh, aid. They're voting against these jobs programs. They're voting um, and, and they're obsessing about Big Bird. So they say you're on, they're on your side. But what are they really spending their time doing? Th you know, there ought to be some more focus to this. But I think the Democrats have been too distracted uh, by fighting with one another. Yeah, and on the places where you hear, like people do, people are dumb, but you, you do have yeah. to tell them things. But they do, they do get, they do listen. And there's this good New York Times article this morning about how um, in in AOC's districts, people say like there's some pushback over her oppose, opposing infrastructure because they want the subway fixed in in New York, and you know they want the lead pipes fixed, which are two parts of the of the BIF. Um, that same model could be there in in red America, right out in rural America, and they're getting rural broadband was part of uh, the part of the BIF. Uh, you know, is is again, are, are you going to win over the people that are you know wearing the MAGA hats and going to the rallies, or you know who are spending their time reading Newsmax or their Facebook, you know their Facebook feed? No, you're not going to win those people over. But in all of these communities, th there are people that I, I would be responsive to the message of Republicans just don't want to do anything except for get you riled up about, you know, what's on Sesame street. Uh, but they're not trying to help, uh, you know, get rural broadband to your neighborhood, get whatever other projects are coming through, through Biff. Uh, you know, people, people do, there are people in these communities that care about this. And there was a tweet yesterday. I saw to, on my point about the rural America, that one of these counties in Virginia, uh, you know, went from a like Bush plus four county in 04 to a Youngkin plus 66 county. And Trump had only won by 60, right? So, you know, can you get it from 66 back down to 46 <laughs> just by talking wow. about how you're trying to provide something in these <sighs> communities? I think so, but you have to, you have to try. You have to, you have to do it. Right. You, you have to just, try. You can't just do it and hope they realize that it's the Democrats that did it, right? You have to, what, you have to try to tell them. Well, you you also need to make it very very clear that that you're on their side. You know, there's there is that that sort of um, disconnect where I think some of the politicians think that hey, uh, you know, I I I'm going to go along with regarding you as a as a white nationalist, as a racist, as a bigot. But would you like to see this white paper I have on uh, on on taxes? Well, no. Uh, at a certain point, if if people don't think that you share their values or have respect for them. Um, they're not going to go along with all that. Okay, one one last comment. I think one of the real dangers, and this seems like not to be on a lot of people's radar screen. Um, well, it, it should be after 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 Virginia. If Democrats are going to be successful, they're going to need to continue to run up the score among college-educated suburbanites, since they continue to lose ground among blue-collar workers and rural voters. Correct. So. But yep. one of the things that really endangers that trend, and we saw this in Virginia. Um, are some of these educational issues that do not directly are not directly associated with with race or critical race theory. So maybe critical race theory you know got a lot of the attention. But I just get it the vibe that the the attack on gifted and talented programs or changing standards in the name of equity, changing grading standards, changing the kinds of requirements for math, all of those things, actually hit among uh, college-educated suburban voters in a way that um, I, 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 th I think the people on the left have underestimated the, the backlash they're getting. Yeah, and I, you know, so I wrote about this in the Red Dog article, and I, I want to try to mm -hmm. put this into a positive frame for Democrats, because there are a lot of issues that, that just 
even in the Obama era, as recently as that, would have been seen as pretty far left. That I, I think that they could push forward on and and not lose the suburbs at all, right? Like obviously identity issues, like you know, gay and trans rights, trans bathrooms, that sort of stuff. But raising the minimum wage, marijuana legalization, universal pre-K, cracking down on lender payday lenders, right? I, I'm just kind of looking at this, yeah. this list I put together. There are environmental stuff. There's a ton of progressive priorities they can push forward while recognize and that that, that is going to be fine and step with their new coalition. Maybe somebody might not love every little thing about it, but they'll be fine to go forward on it. There are also some landmines, right? And and education is definitely one of them. And, and you have to keep in mind with your new coalition that, that you know, I, I think that the never Trumpers and the suburban college educated folks have been pretty good about going along with a pretty progressive agenda in, in the Biden administration and not saying, well, you need to do what we say. You need to tax cuts for the rich or whatever. You know what I mean? You, I, I, all the, all the, the, the things you might have thought that that these former Republicans would have wanted. But there are but there are some areas that are just going to be stepped too far, and I think you saw that with with this edu- with the education stuff yeah. in Virginia. And I just you know I, I'm looking at schools right now for Toulouse, and it's it's surprise like you know the websites like are just so all in on the DEI, the diversity, equity, and inclusion yeah. stuff. And I don't mind that. I, obviously, I want diversity, equity, and inclusion. But I'd also like the 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 you know forms they send me about what's going to happen in school to talk about like math. Right, like Ooh, we're gonna really? also learn here, yeah. And so I just I I think that people are frustrated with that now. Is that Joe Biden's fault? No, the Democrats should, you know, not not be playing into the right hands on this with what you're saying about the gifted and talented programs and all that. So how right now are is the issue of vaccine mandates playing? I've I've kind of lost the thread uh, based on 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 the polling for this. Um, I mean, my gut sense is that, you know, it, this might not be a big issue by the time the, the midterms roll around, but it obviously is a big issue right now. The Republicans are all in, in pushing back against the vaccine mandates. My, my position, I think you probably agree, is, look, um, this is what's going to get us through uh, this pandemic. This is going to save people's lives. I am all in favor of, of this. So how, how does this play right now? Yeah, I'm concerned that this might be a JVL is always right moment. I was very pro-mandate. JVL was anti-mandate because of the really? political right. backlash. Yeah, he was huh. anti-mandate for the political backlash, not because of his own you know, ideological views. He right. didn't think right. it was a smart political move. Um, and, and I think some of his concerns are bearing out. Right, that there is, you know, just just sort of the American individualist ethos that's pushing back by people who got the vet. I I think I underestimated this notion that people would get it for themselves and then still bristle at the mandate. Here, here's where it is working, and I, the bet that the Biden administration is making. If you look at the polls, um, the poll I saw yesterday had the number of people who said they're never going to get the vaccine has gone down from pre-mandate, I, I don't remember the exact number, high twenties, down to thirteen now. Um, and so it is having an impact just on number of people getting shots in their arms. There are people that that were hesitant, skeptical, even hostile in certain cases to to getting the vaccine who went ahead and did it because their job mandated it. Mm-hmm. They wanted to go to a football game, whatever. Yeah. So you're, if you're Biden, you're saying the best thing I can do for my, the midterms to help myself is make sure that all this COVID stuff is in the rear right. view mirror by the time we get there. Exactly. And so, Agreed. you know, if I, if, if we can, you know, twist some arms and, you know, we get some short-term political blowback for long-term, 
you know, higher, higher vaccine rates. That's maybe a good trade off. And it's just like, I don't, you know, I don't have a crystal ball. Uh, we kind of, we have to come back and do this again next Labor Day and figure out whether that was a good bet or not. Um, but uh, I, I'm for them, but I, I'm, I think that there are some fair political warning flags that, that, that um, JVL raised in his newsletter this week. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with all this. By the way, have you seen the new Mayor Pete movie? Boy, my friend Liz Smith's going to be mad at me for saying no because she like sent it to me before it's even out. Okay. And I guess it's out now, and she's the star of the show. I guess, but um, okay. I, uh, I, I have I'm, not watched it. Well, next time um, we we talk, uh, I'd like to okay. get your we'll take. Do a, we'll do a little take on that, Mayor. It looks extremely interesting. Okay, so um, speaking of JBL, you mentioned him. I, I think he has a, a a trick question in his uh, in his uh, newsletter yesterday. I think it's a trick question. Is Dennis Prager stupid or evil? And, 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 binary. Yeah. Okay. It's like, come on now. Well, this is, and I've said this before, I, this is painful because I do remember when Dennis Prager was a serious guy. Uh, you know, that he was a, he's a Jewish ethicist who wrote uh, serious books. And in, in terms of being in talk radio, he was at sort of the opposite end of the spectrum of, of some of the, the entertainers out there and what he has become now is it's, it's, it's mind boggling. Of course, he's referring to this comment where he's raging against the, the vaccination saying, well, can you imagine what, what does actually say, you know, do you, can you imagine if, um, if we had stigmatized, you know, gays and intravenous drug users, the way, uh, that we had, uh, stigmatized the unvaccinated. It's like, wait, wait, were you not around in the 1980s? I mean, Look, Dennis Prager is not a stupid man. He's not a young man. He was there in the 80s. And the idea that during the AIDS epidemic, that there was not a stigma attached to being gay or an intravenous drug use is just, it's not just revisionist history. It's insane. I mean, it's insane amnesia. It's insane. It's it's insane. Um, Yeah. And, and, you know, I, I don't know any unvaccinated people who you know, are getting dumped into the river and not having funerals with their families because their families are so ashamed of them. So, uh, you know, I, like arguing it on the merits is silly. Um, you know, I, I feel like maybe I should have suggested I've like been down a rabbit hole of reading AIDS books recently because I have mm. kind of some guilt as having come out of closet, you know, not post it. We're not post AIDS. Obviously, people are still getting HIV and AIDS. But mm. after, you know, the crisis really had had abated and and just sort of reading about it was very recent past and not kind of realizing and internalizing just the horrors of it. Um, you know, maybe I'll have, I'll have Jim put some uh, suggested reading material in, in the email this afternoon for folks that are interested. But, um, uh, you know, look, the thing that bugs me with this and is how I circle back to the Christie comment. It's like, it is true that we're, the gays, we're doing great right now, Charlie. You know, we, mm-hmm. you know, Mayor Pete won the Iowa caucus. Like we're, you know, we're dominating in, you know, in the culture and in music and in movies. I mean, you know, gay life has never been better in America. And and so I, I think that there's this, um, this desire among Republicans and among conservatives to just completely whitewash you know, like everything that happened and just be like, Hey, nothing to worry about with gays. Now, like we're all on board. Everything's cool. And now we're focusing on the trans folks. We're worried about that now. And, um, and like, you know, I don't mind people having a change of heart on this. Um, I, you know, I, I have my own like guilt over, you know, certain candidates I'd worked for, um, you know, and their, their views on gay stuff. And I've written about this. Like changing of heart is good. We want people to change their heart. We wanted people to change their heart on gay rights. We want people to change their heart on Trump. But like 
to to then you know once there has been success to like jump on board the train and be like yeah there weren't any problems back there all things are good i'm good now uh, you know we're, we're doing the men in black thing you, you don't have to remember everything that i said on my radio okay. show for years where i was talking about the heteronormative supremacy or whatever prager used to talk about it's like uh, you know, uh, we're we're welcoming you on the bandwagon. If if on the way on the bandwagon, you're giving me a my bad, right? Yeah. A mea culpa. Like I I I didn't I I didn't recognize how bad this was. I didn't recognize you know the pain I was causing, and you know I want forgiveness. You know I'm I grew up Catholic. We're all I'm I'm all about absolution, but uh, but absolution requires acknowledgement of this of the sin and i and i feel it like it's help, not just prager right? it's like a common thing now that all these republicans just want to like pretend like that never happened again and like all it's all good now yeah i mean this is one of the things that in case people missed it jvl sort of went back to the the uh the record when rush limbaugh used to make fun of people who died of aids even bill buckley william f buckley jr said oh. that everybody Detected with age should be tattooed on the upper forearm to protect common needle users and tattooed on the buttocks. Um, I, um, on the buttocks? You know, I mean, you know, Larry Speaks back in 1982, spokesman for Ronald Reagan, joked about it all. Uh, Dennis Prager himself, you know, was talking about, you know, that heterosexual AIDS was, you know, nothing. I mean, this is, I, I guess that's part of the, the hysteria. But it's also interesting watching some of the folks who had been incredibly pro-vaccination, um, I, I saw one one official who'd actually uh, voted for a bill that would have jailed anyone who had tuberculosis, refusing to get treatment, um, now railing against vaccine mandates. It, it is as if it doesn't matter what I've ever said before about any of these issues. It's all right now. What do I need to say for this news cycle to yep. win this particular skirmish in the culture war? And it has no relationship to any larger principle or to any consistency about what you might have been saying for decades. I got nothing to add to that, Charlie. I Amen. Amen. Okay, so it is time for the weekend. Thanks for coming back on. I appreciate it very much, Tim, as always. Anytime, Charlie. See you next time. And thank you for joining us on today's Bulwark Podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes. We will be back on Monday, and we'll do this all over again. <laughs>